Don't only think about it, believe it and live it. Tonight we're having our family festival. Come and be a part of that if you like good music, good instrumental music, good singing, uh, good worship. Come and be a part of that tonight. That song is important there because what I'm going to be talking about today can get a little bit discouraging to some people. Uh, but it's not meant to discourage anyone. It's to remember who we're serving. It's called The Great Falling Away. And uh, this is going to be the last in this series on deception. We're in a series I've entitled it, What You M Know Might Not Be So. We're talking about how easy it is to be deceived today with AI and all the other things that's coming along. So we're going to look at the last days and, and talk about something that's going to be taking place. It's called the great falling away, the great apostasy, uh, the great rebellion. Let's look at Matthew 24, 4 through 13, and then we'll go to 2 Thessalonians. And Jesus answered and said unto them, he's answering the question, three questions that was proposed to him by his disciples. Take heed, there's those words again, that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they, they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended. There's the key. Many will be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall arise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. And let's go over to 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that, day, that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. There's that phrase again. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship, so that he as God sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now you know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall the wicked one be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all powers and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness and unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they, might, they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Wow, that's right. 
1997, there was a book that came out. I remember our kids looking at it in the late 90s, uh, early 2000s. It was a book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Any young people remember that? Not many young people left in here. But uh, (laughs) it was a book written about dating might not be the best thing for Christians because there's a lot of pressure to try to find Mr. Miss Wright. You're going through all these hormone changes. There's a lot of temptations out there sexually and all these kind of things. So maybe Christians ought to stay away from dating and tackle that later on after they've grown and matured a little bit. And it was a number one seller written by Joshua Harris. It sold over 1.2 million copies. Many churches bought that to give to their youth groups to look at maybe backing off on the hot dating scene and, and, and going a different route. Joshua Harris made the news a few years ago. Uh, he was the lead pastor of the Covenant Life Church from 2004 to 2015. He's married to, married to Shannon Hendrickson, and they have three children. But this is what he said here recently. I've undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. By all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Many people tell me there's a different way to practice faith, and I want to remain open to this, but I'm not there now. He announced that he and his wife were ending their 20-year marriage, and she's going to be a singer-songwriter. He said, I also would like to apologize to the LGBTQ community for not supporting same-sex marriage and affirming their place in the church. I want to say that I'm sorry for the views that I taught in my books and as a pastor regarding sexuality. I regret standing against marriage equality for not affirming you and your place in the church and for any ways that my writing and speaking contributed to a culture of exclusion and bigotry. I hope you can forgive me. He went on to say this, I no longer agree with I Kiss Dating Goodbye, the book that he wrote that was so popular, and I now think dating can be a healthy part of a person developing relationally and learning the qualities that matter most in a partner. In light of those flaws, I think it's best to discontinue that publication as well as other supplemental resources tied to it. Wow. I had the privilege of of preaching Brother Stiles Hoppins' funeral. Brother Stiles, Brother Wayne Hoppins' father, Sister Bowden's husband. Uh, Think about Brother Stiles Hoppins. He was born in 1902, and he died in 2001, almost 100 years old. If he'd have been born two and a half years earlier, he'd have lived in three centuries. But I'll tell you this, we've seen more happen in the last 20 years than probably he's seen in his lifetime. Uh, He saw two world wars and a Great Depression, indoor plumbing, invention of television, and a lot of things that came along. But in the last 20 years, because of the increase of knowledge and things, things are changing and changing rapidly. And most of them are not all that good. Some of them's good. Some of them are bring convenience to us. You remember the poem Humpty Dumpty? Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back together again. He had a great fall. And that's what I'm going to be talking about today. The Bible talks about a great falling away, a time of deception, a time of delusion, a time of believing lies. 
that's coming in the future. And I want to talk about that because I want to expose once again the great deceiver that we're in a battle with. And remember, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Let's look at the last days. Uh, the blocks of Scripture. Matthew 24. Now, this is known as the Olivet Discourse because Jesus is given this teaching at the Mount of Olives. That's why it's the Olivet Discourse. Uh, but if you go to chapter 23, you don't have to go to it now, but chapter 23 was something else. Jesus preached the hardest sermon he'd ever preached to the religious people, the scribes and the Pharisees. And he called them ugly names. It's almost like he was getting some stuff off of his chest. He's, he's going to go to the cross in just a few days. And his last message to the, not the church, to the religious crowd was something to behold. The disciples could not believe what they were hearing. This was just as bad or worse than when he's running people out of the temple. So if he did it in a sermon, he said, let me tell you this about y'all. Uh, because they had fought him every step of the way for three years of his ministry, they were there stopping everything, discounting everything, trying to kill him, trying to go behind him and disrupt it and all this kind of stuff. They fought him worse than the news media fights Donald Trump. And they were there every minute. And so he got this off his chest, the last thing he wanted to say to the religious crowd. And so as they're leaving the Mount of Olives, the disciples, they're shook up. And so one of them points to the temple and says, but don't we have a beautiful temple there? And he said, I'll tell you this. Coming a day, there won't be one stone left on that beautiful temple of yours. They didn't say anything else. And then they finally settled down a little bit and got along, and they asked him three questions. When's this going to happen? Talking about the, the stones be tore down from one top to the bottom. And what's going to be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? That's the three questions they asked him. So Matthew 24 uh, he's going to answer that. Now, they're asking about when are you coming. He, they don't realize he, he hasn't even died yet, and they're wondering when he's coming back. And so in Matthew 24, he answers those three questions. When Jesus came the first time, there were many signs surrounding that, the sign of the virgin birth, uh, the sign of the star guiding the wise men as a, as a young child, the angelic host talking to the shepherds, what's born in Bethlehem, uh, the, the angels speaking to uh, Zacharias and Simeon and all those in the temple and all the, there was a lot of signs taking place of his first coming now he said there's going to be a lot of signs taking place at his last coming Matthew 24 is Jesus telling how the final years are going to be and then Paul in 1st and 2nd Thessalonians reiterates or give us a, gives us a little more detail of what Jesus talked about and then John in the book of Revelation expounds on a little bit more and so that's really what we're talking about here today. Let's look at an overview from Jesus and Daniel. I'm going to give you a broad, I'm going to paint all this with a broad brush because there's not enough time to go through everything. Uh, but I'm going to say this. I have a different view on the end times than most evangelicals. Uh, and so I'll tell you that right off the bat. Nobody knows the day or the hour. Everybody knows that. But we can look at the signs and look at the things that's going on. And I'm going to try to give you an overview best I can in about 15 minutes. All right. It goes back to Daniel chapter uh, 9. Daniel chapter 9. It's called Daniel's 70th week or Daniel's 70 weeks. Daniel gave this 
prophecy. They're in Babylonian captivity, Judah, and he knows they're going to be there for 70 years. And so they're getting close to the end of that 70 years. He's saying, what's going to happen? So the, the Lord come and, and uh, give him a vision and give him this uh, dream and everything. And here's what he said. He talked about, here's what's going to take place. From the time they give the command to go back and rebuild Jerusalem and all, from that day until the Messiah comes and is killed, is cut off, it's going to be 69 weeks. A week is seven years. You know, a week is seven days in our life. But this represents seven years. So you take 69 times seven, you come up with 483 years from the time that command to go back and restore and rebuild Jerusalem in the temple to Jesus dying on the cross was 483 years. Boom, exactly. He says, but there's going to be a 70th week. There's going to be one more seven-year period, the 70th of, those, of that prophecy. And that's still to come. Most people call that the seven-year tribulation or the last seven years. It's called a lot of different things, time of Jacob's trouble and so forth. Uh, but it's, it says this. If you look at this scripture we're looking at, it says, here's what he says, talking about that last seven-year period. He, <coughs> the Antichrist, what he's talking about, he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. There's that one seven-year period, a week, seven years. And in the midst, in the middle of that seven-year period, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. <clears throat> and for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate. Remember that abomination of desolations there. We're going to hear it in just a second. So he said right in the middle of that seven-year period, there's going to be an Antichrist, who we're going to find out later, even until the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. All right, so he says there's going to be a final seven-year period. starts with a covenant. He, I believe it's going to be some kind of covenant made with Israel. And he said in the middle of that seven-year period, this man's going to come, and I'll tell you more about him in just a second. Okay, well, let's, the second is now. Um, <laughs> Matthew 24. Uh, Jesus is going to describe it, and he's going to talk to his disciples who's asking him a question, when is the temple going to be destroyed? When... Are you coming back, and when's this thing going to wind up? And so Matthew 24, he said, I'm going to tell you. Okay, <clears throat> now, if you believe in what's called the pre-tribulation rapture, which most people here do, I would assume, you would say Matthew 24 basically doesn't apply to any of the church. Jesus is come, If that's the seven-year tribulation, Jesus is coming for that, so everything Jesus is saying doesn't apply to us. If you believe that's when he's coming back, I personally don't. But here, here we go. All right, he's going to give them a view there of what's going to take place the last seven years. Here's what he said. Many will come in my name saying I am Christ and shall deceive many. It'll be a time of great deception, no doubt about that. <clears throat> so there's spiritual signs you can look for. A lot of religious, a lot of people saying, I'm Christ, this is Christianity, a lot of deception, spiritual deception is going to be one of the signs. Number two, and you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, be not troubled. There's going to be national, international signs, uh, political signs, if you want to call it that way, that you can look for. Then he comes down to verse 7, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. There will be signs in nature. Signs in the uh, natural world, so to speak. Then he comes down and says in verse 8, All these are the beginning of sorrows. 
he called this, that kind of stuff, he said, that's going to be taking place in the world. That's the beginning of sorrows. Then he comes on down to verse 9. He says, they'll deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Now, most people, if you believe in the pre-trib rapture, he's just talking to Jews there. Uh, even though we don't think of Jews uh, being known for being hated for Jesus' name's sake, do we? But anyway, that's who they would say he's talking to because the church is already gone. Church ain't here for none of this. <clears throat> Verse 10, And then many will be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. What he says in verse 10 there. Okay, come on down. He'll talk about more deception in verse 11. Look at verse 12. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Okay? Right, so he's, once again, he's coming on down, and he's fixing to come to a reference point in verse 15. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation. Remember that? I told you I'd get to it. It took more than a second. It took about three or four minutes. Whenever you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever's reading, let him understand. All right, let me stop right there. Anybody here ever watched the Wheel of Fortune? Anybody ever done crossword puzzles? You know, in the Wheel of Fortune or whatever, they try to buy a vowel or something. If you can get a word, it may be a long word, but if you can get a vowel or two, maybe a consonant in there, it can help you identify what the word is. You've got a reference point, so to speak. Right there is our reference point. He's saying, now I'm fixing to tell you, because we know that Daniel already said that thing's going to take place right in the middle of seven years. So we're believing the beginning of sorrows is the first three and a half of that seven years. And now he comes to verse 15. He says, and when you see this take place, get ready. All right, so he says, we know that's, that's our reference point. He's going to say that. And then he's going to come on down and say this. He's going to go on in verse 15 through 20. Look at verse 21. Then shall be great tribulation. Such was not since the beginning of the world to this time no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Now the question is, who is the elect? He calls the church the elect, Israel's the elect, or whatever. Uh, who's he talking to here, and who, who's this applying to, and, every, and things like that. Let me say this. Here's the biggest confusion most people have about tribulation and the day of the Lord. Tribulation is when the Antichrist, Satan's man, begins to persecute those who are being persecuted or afflicted for his name's sake, Christians. The day of the Lord is the day when God pours out his wrath, the day of judgment. That's something completely different. That's when Satan and his people are getting it. God says, I'm going to step in now and put judgment. The tribulation is Satan and his man having his way with the people of God. Okay? There's two different things. You, a lot of people say it's all the same thing. No, it's not. If you study it through the Word of God, it's not the same thing. Okay, comes on down through verse 24 through 28, and then he says in 29 through 31, he's trying to answer their questions, remember. He said, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, the stars shall fall from heaven, the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming 
in, clouds, in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a what? Trumpet. And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So when they asked Jesus, when are you coming back? He said this. He didn't say this. Because if you believe in the pre-tribulation rapture, which I used to believe all my life, I believe that. Then you've got to believe there's going to be a secret rapture ahead of all this that he didn't tell them about. And this that he's talking about is the rapture that will apply to other people. You gotta, it doesn't really make sense to me. Anyway, we'll keep going. Now, then he goes on down in that same thing trying to explain that. And he says, it'll be like the days of Noah. And then in Luke, on the same Olivet Discourse, he says it'll be like the days of Lot. What was it the days of Noah? The days of Noah, Noah and his family were living there in, in, the, in where man's mind was on sin continually. That's why God was sending a flood. It was a corrupt world, and they were living in the middle of that. And as soon as God rescued Noah and his family, he shut them in. The rains came, and God's judgment fell on the rest. Same thing with Lot. They were living in an ungodly Sodom. Everything you can imagine going on. As soon as he got them out, then God's wrath fell. That's God's wrath. That's God's judgment. That is not tribulation. See, a lot of people look at it. See, God gets his people out before they ever go through any tribulation. No, they were in the, living in the middle of tribulation. And he rescued them, and he said, now I'm getting y'all out of here. Now I'm fixing to pour out my wrath on these people. Okay, it's two different things. Now, go to 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 4. Paul said, I'm going to pick up on that, and I'm going to elaborate a little bit. Now, we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind nor troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Day of Christ is another phrase talking about the day of the Lord, the judgment of God. He said, don't think that the day of the Lord's already come. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, so that he as God sits in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Okay, we'll stop right there for, for just a second. Uh, he's fixing to give an overview in Second Thessalonians. What these people are believing is they're going through some hard times and they think, is this the wrath of God being poured out that we're having to go through? He said, no, this is not the day of the Lord. This is not God's wrath being poured out. That day won't come until two things take place. Going to be a great falling away and that knucklehead called the antichrist is going to be revealed okay uh, look at first thessalonians let's go to the first thessalonians before we come to this one uh, first thessalonians 4 15 through 18 says this for this we say unto you by the word of the lord that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the lord shall not prevent them which are asleep he said that they were concerned about people that already died did they miss something he said no those are dead they're going to come up too for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together 
with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord there. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Say amen, somebody. All right, well, all right. keep reading, somebody. We're going on to chapter 5. Remember, the verses and chapters were put in there in the 1500s. The Bible wasn't written with verses and chapters. That was man put it in there so it would be easier to follow it. All right, goes to the next chapter. He's still on the same thought. But the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night, the day of the Lord, the day of judgment and all. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction shall cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with a child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. He said, I'm telling y'all. You're all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God, here's the key word, don't stop there. For God has not appointed us to wrath. We're not going to be here for God's judgment, God's wrath being poured out, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. Y'all following with me a little bit there? Okay. Now, here's what's going on in 2 Thessalonians. They're scared. They, they think maybe they're experiencing the wrath of God being poured out because things are so bad and they're suffering persecution. and things. He said, no, that day's not going to come until there's a great falling away and the Antichrist is revealed. He said in verse 2, don't be misled. He gives three ways they were being misled. He said by spirit, some people maybe were given a prophetic word that thus saith this, and it was not right. right. He said they may be misled by the word, by word. In other words, some people were saying, this is what I heard Paul or somebody say, and they're passing on false information. He said, or by letter. This is one of Paul's letters. He said this. He said, that is not true. If you get that information, that didn't come from me. This message that you're getting is not coming from me. He said, uh, the coming of the Lord and our gathering together unto him does not occur. But at, before it comes, there's going to be a great falling away. And the man of sin is going to be revealed. Okay, let's look at the great falling away again. The word in the Greek means apostasy. Apostasy means falling away, rebellion, uh, turning away, things like this. It's mentioned two times in the Bible. This is one of them in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3. But the concept of falling away or departing from the faith, rejecting the faith is mentioned other times. 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Here's another one in Hebrews a lot of apostasy going on in the Hebrews. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Now, here's what I want to say to you, first of all. Apostasy is not the same thing as backsliding. Everybody's familiar with the term backsliding. Backsliding is like you're not walking as close to the Lord as you once were. You're getting farther away you're going backwards a little bit you're not as close as you once were and we call that backsliding that's a that's a phrase a lot of, used a lot in the old testament and the new testament let me read you a couple 
Hosea, my people are bent to backsliding from me. Though they call them to the Most High, none at all would exalt him. Let's go to the next one. Jeremiah, wherefore a lion out of the forest shall slay them, and a wolf at the of the evening shall spoil them. A leopard shall watch over their cities. Every one that goeth out thence shall be torn in pieces because their transgressions are many and their backslidings are increased. They're going backwards. They're not going on with me. They're getting farther away from me. That's backsliding. And Jesus said unto them, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. In other words, backsliding is like a cooling off. Apostasy is when people say, I don't want any more of that Christianity. I'm turning away from that. Backsliding is you need to get your sorry self back in church. You need to get closer to the Lord. You need to get back in the Word of God. That's backsliding. Apostasy is saying we reject that. We turn from that. We rebel against that. There's going to be a lot of that, he says, in the last days. Now, let's see if we can go a little farther. What is that going to look like? The great falling away. Why is there going to be a great falling away? And how's, what's going to be taking place? What's some of the characteristics? Let's go back to Matthew again. And we'll start looking at some of these. Matthew 24, 10. And then many shall be offended. A lot of people are going to go back and turn their back on Christian because they're offended and should betray one another and hate one another. Now, many will be defended. A great divide. Now, I don't want to get sidetracked, but have you ever noticed how easy people are offended today uh and if it's not politically correct people can get mad and uh you can't have a difference of opinion anymore because you're either on one side or another and you it, it gets ugly it gets hot there's a growing hatred towards christians too uh it's getting more and more popular christians used to be even back years ago in our country people might not have been a christian but they respected christians uh they might not believe this but they didn't they didn't want to cuss in front of a woman. Didn't want to do this. They just felt, well, I respect, I'm not there, but I respect people like that. They're dedicated. Nowadays, you're not respected. You're an enemy. They look at us as somebody that's standing in the way of social justice and change with our old-fashioned moral views and our old-fashioned ways, and we're somebody that needs to be getting out of the way. We're somebody that, that is a hindrance to society and so forth like that. Uh, usually when there's uh, people turning on one another, there's a lot of persecution. And we don't suffer persecution like the other nations of the world. We know that. We're soft and uh, weak. Most people are suffering persecution. is physical persecution or death. Uh, no other nations. Persecution is starting to pick up here, though. What, what the persecution looked like here in America is more regulations, laws, social media. People saying this and that and talking ugly and all this kind of stuff, just letting people know how they feel about Christians and stuff like that. There's more of that. Uh, on Wednesday night, we were teaching on uh, artificial intelligence and things like that. And, and I made a comment one of those nights. I said, how many would like to get rid of your cell phone? And we're mostly older folks in there. And a lot of them said, yeah, I think we need to get rid of these sorry things. Now, what we mean by that is we like to, like to have a phone handy when we can call somebody. But we don't like all the other junk that goes with it. The pornography and the this and that and all this. And when I said that, we had about 20, 25 kids with us. None of them said they wanted to get rid of their cell phone. <laughs> to, a, to a young person who grew up with that, life isn't worth living if they don't have their cell phone. There's no, no need to go on. That's my connection to humanity and everything. 
And so anyway, there's going to be, there's more and more people turning upon one another. And social media is one of the biggest ways that they can turn on people. And they don't, they're not afraid to hide behind a computer screen and tell you what they think and be the most vile, vicious things you can imagine. That's the way our world's gotten now. So there'll be a lot of people turning on one another going into the great falling away. There'll be false prophets. Verse 11. <clears throat> And many false prophets shall rise and deceive me. There'll be a great deception. That's what's going to lead to the uh, great falling away. We just got through reading in 1 Timothy 4.1. Uh, now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter days some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Uh, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, the church was being attacked with what's called modernism. And so out of that attack, they were saying the Bible's not all this and this. And so uh, something, uh, an organ, uh, a movement came, came about at that time called fundamentalism. Fundamentalism is basically they reiterated this basic core tenets of the faith. We believe in the infallibility of the Scriptures. We believe in the virgin birth. We believe Christ's death was an atonement for sin. We believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. We believe in the historical reality of the miracles of Jesus. That's fundamentalism. We all, everybody here should be a fundamentalist. We're also evangelicals. Evangelicals something different. That came up a little later. Evangelicals, somebody that believes basically the world is lost without a Savior. And it's our job as Christians, we've been left behind to be witnesses to tell those that they need Jesus. And there's only one way, and that's Jesus. That's mainly what evangelicalism is. It's we're, we're called to evangelize or spread the good news because everybody's going to hell if they don't find Jesus. Everybody here evangelical? Okay. Pentecostal is something different. Pentecostal is usually a fundamentalist and evangelical. That's somebody that believes in the power of the Holy Ghost. We've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in tongues, to be witnesses. And the gifts of the Spirit are available today and so forth. That's Pentecostalism. But fundamentalists, evangelicals, and Pentecostals, some of them are moving in the wrong direction in this day and time. Let me just read you some disturbing trends. In a recent survey, 30% of evangelicals now do not believe in the deity of Christ. 61% of evangelical Christians wanted the Supreme Court to overturn Roe versus Wade. You say, wait a minute, only 61% wanted it? Not 100? That's scary to me. 2007, 90% of evangelicals were against homosexual marriages. But in 2022, only 63% were against homosexual marriages. Things are moving in the wrong direction here. United States up till 2007, was considered the most religious country in the world. On a scale of 1 to 10, they said the average was 8.2, said that God's an important part of their life. Today it's 4.6. The Gallup poll started in 1937, the Gallup polls when it came into existence. All through then, all the way up to 2000, church membership was about 73% throughout the country. In 2000, it went down to 65%. 2010, went down to 59%. Today, it's 47%. There are 72 million millennials in America. 
that's those that were born between 1986 and 1999, 42% of the millennials categorize themselves as nuns. They don't affiliate with any kind of religion. Baptist, Presbyterian, Pentecostal, Catholic, or anything. They said 35% of young adults and 38% of teenagers say the word converts is one of the most objectionable terms in their vocabulary. They don't like that. They also don't like the concept of winning souls and things like that. Now, God's doing great things. I'm looking at America. God's doing some great things around the world, even in Muslim countries and South American places like that. But I'm just talking about what's going on in the American view. Here's another thing that's going to... So in other words, there's going to be a lot of deception. There are things that you once believed in are now being cast aside. That's part of the false deception going on. Here's the third. The love of many will wax cold. Verse 12. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. In other words, when they see all the evil, all the lawlessness, all the injustice and stuff going on, people start losing hope, giving up. Start saying, man, what's the use? You know, when you look at our country and you look at the two-tiered justice system, one for some people and not the same for others, you start saying, what, what is the use? What's going on? It starts messing with your mind if you're not careful. But a lot of people, their love will get colder and colder when they see the lawlessness that seems no end to it. The next one, uh, going to 2 Thessalonians 2.11, they'll believe a lie. For this cause, God will descend them strong delusion. Strong delusion will lead to the great falling away that they should believe a lie. You either believe truth or you believe a lie. There's no in-between there. You're going to believe one or the other. The Bible says in Romans 1, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. Here's the next one, 2 Thessalonians 2.12. They have pleasure in unrighteousness that they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. The Bible says Moses, he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. The Bible says in the last days people will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. So people will be so caught up in the pleasure, seeking pleasure in this world, they'll turn their back uh, and rebel against the things of God. Now, here's the question most people have. I'm going to wind this thing down. Is this going to be something gradual, or is it going to be, boom, a great falling away at one shot? I don't know. Uh, it could be either way. I can tell you things are starting to move in that direction. It might be a slow erosion, or it may be... Though those that think it's going to happen immediately are people that believe it's going to get so bad... And they believe that Antichrist is on the scene and you can't buy or sell. So people say, i got to live. i got to take care of my family. i got to do this. I'll, I'll turn my back on whatever I once believed and do what it takes to survive. I don't know. Here's what experts, I was reading this this past week, said the reason church attendance is down so much. Now, we know after COVID, a lot of people never came back. Like, but this is the six big reasons why people don't go to church. He said, this is America, greater affluence. They've got a little bit more money, so they've got more options on what they want to do on the weekend. Number two, higher focus on kids' activities. Many sports require weekend travel, so parents choose sports with their kids over church. Number three, blended families. Divorce requires children spending time with mama and daddy in their divided household, so 
they can't be counted on to always come to church. They may have to be at another location in that weekend. Online options. Many churches are online now. People choose to uh, access church without having to be there. Come and go have the church as they want. Number five, self-directed spirituality. People are looking for other options for spiritual growth besides the church. I'm not sure what that means. Number six, value attendance over engagement. He says people that just came to church because they like to attend, they will eventually turn their back because they don't have anything going. It's all just it's just a ritual with them. And so when things get rough, they'll they'll go the other direction. Uh, like I say, my view that we'll be through here with a lot of this is not the popular view. I, I'm I've always said this. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I hope we don't have Matthew 24 don't apply to us. We're already gone from here and all that. That's somebody else. But I don't know that. Thomas Jefferson, one of the founding fathers, really one of the great men that wrote our Constitution. He was a brilliant man, brilliant. But he, stu he struggled in his latter years with the divinity of Christ and the miracles in the Bible. At the age of 77 in 1820, he began cutting out the things that showed Jesus was deity, God. And he, and he started cutting out the miracles. He loved the teachings of Jesus and the love of Jesus and all, but he, was, he struggled with that part. And it became known as the Jefferson Bible. It was the life and moral teachings of Jesus. He predicted this. In the late 1820s, he thought that Christianity would be replaced by a more enlightened form without Jesus' divinity and the belief in miracles and so forth. Now, he was a great national leader, did a great thing for our country. He's not a prophet of God. Uh, the, the, America's been through series of revivals. In the early, early mid-1700s, we had what was called the Great Awakening. Jonathan Edwards and great men like that. In the 1800s, after he wrote this, uh, they had another, a second Great Awakening. People like Charles Finney and others, great revivals, great outpourings of God. And then the early, eight, late 1800s, early 1900s, Pentecost revival, and a lot of different revivals. God's, let me tell you something, God can still do things. If, 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 he can, if He can raise Jesus on the third day from the dead, He can raise up some dead people and maybe wake them up. And we're praying, we're counting on that. I'm believing for that all the time. But regardless if he does or not, there will be a great falling away. That is coming. And it started. Here's what somebody wrote. They, they called it a, a synopsis of the history of man and God in 217 words. He said this is what the picture of man and his relationship with mankind and God has been. God said, I created everything from nothing, order from disorder, life from lifelessness. And the people said, no. The universe created itself and life came about by random chance. God said, I made mankind to be made male and female. The people said, no, we'll decide how many genders there are and which one we want to be. God said, I knew you in the womb. You've been fearfully and wonderfully made. The people said, no, the unborn are just fetal tissue and no right to life until we grant it. God said, the marriage bond is between a man and a woman. The people said, no, we'll have sexual relations whenever and with whomever we please. God said, despite your rebellion, I love you with an everlasting love. So I sent my only son to die for the sins of the whole world. Whoever believes in him will gain eternal life. The people said, no, we reject the bigotry of such a narrow point of view. 
God said, one day I'll return to redeem my creation. The people said, no, we'll save the planet ourselves. And while God patiently waited for mankind to come to their senses and repent, the world scoffingly said, where's the promise of his coming? He is coming. He is coming. I'm going to tell you that. Uh, some people are going to get called away, and some people have, will have fallen away. And I don't, I don't preach it hard to scare anybody, just to prepare everybody. I will close and say this. Uh, I don't know if she sent it to me last night or this morning. I just saw it this morning. My daughter sent a little text about her son, Everett. <clears throat> he loved to say anything. Uh, and he, he was talking to his dad, and he said, Daddy, when we get to heaven, how am I going to be able to find you? His daddy said, Son, I'll be up there worshiping Jesus in the crowd, praising Jesus. He said, Daddy, Will you step out from the crowd so I can find you? And that's the question for all of us. Will we find you there? You only come through the blood of Jesus. There's only one way. Things are getting nasty in this world. The Lord's still the same. The Word of God still stands. Greater is He that's in us and He that's in the world. But there's a cost to being a child of God. Easy believism, signing a name, that's more of a modern-day American concept. You give your heart and life to Jesus, you give him your life, whatever it takes. I want you to stand with me. Deception. Boy, we live in a world of deception. It's only getting worse. AI is making things where you don't even know who you're talking to anymore this word never changes it's true if you don't know Jesus though I appeal to you I said this morning how many names written in the Lamb book of life everybody said amen and whose name was not written there and nobody said anything but the odds are somebody here names not up there and so I just say if the spirit of God's dealing with your heart you're the only way he can come is when he draws you but if he's knocking on the door of your heart, you can come here and you can make it right. And we'll see you in heaven. And if not, you won't be able to say, nobody warned you. Let's pray. If you need prayer, you come down. We'll pray with you. If you've got questions, you've got doubts, you don't understand, we'll pray with you. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, young and old, here we are once again being brought face to face with the reality of a world that's rejected you and still holding on to the hope that you're still going to breathe life and breath into us one more time before it all wraps up we do pray for that God we pray we've got family we've got children grandchildren nieces and nephews we've got neighbors friends and we don't know where they stand with you I pray Father Open our eyes, open our hearts. May we truly not only be Pentecostal, may we be evangelical, doing everything we can to tell somebody about somebody that can save anybody. Thank you, Father, for your love, your grace. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Come back tonight for a family festival.